Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. Today we're talking to Sean D'Souza. Now you may know Sean from his business Psycho Tactics or his podcast The Three Month Vacation. Today we're going to be talking about storytelling and how you can use stories to boost the effectiveness of your copywriting. My name is Belinda Weaver. I'm a copywriter. I'm the founder of Copyright Matters and the Copywriting Masterclass. With me, as always, is my co-host down under, Kate Toon. Hello, my name is Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the recipe person of success. Now, before we get into today's interview, we always start the show with a question that delves into our inner psyche, or not. Um, Kate, we've been talking about the power minute, the power hour of your day. How about let's sharing our morning routines with each other? What's yours? How do you start the day? Well, it kind of depends on whether I'm on mother duty or not, but just on a deal with my husband where he does a lot of the morning. So I'm kind of free. I get up, I walk my dog and I listen to podcasts while I'm walking my dog, sometimes work related, but mostly just silly ones like my dad wrote a porno or, you know, just fun ones to get me, um, get me just get me what I don't know get me something and then yeah I get a <laughs> giant coffee and I come in and I wade through the stuff I go through all my social media likes I do my emailing I plan my day I set up tasks in Asana for all my virtual assistants and designers and bookkeepers and yada 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 um and I it's probably not the most effective start to the day I keep saying to myself I should use that first couple of hours to write because that's when I'm most engaged and switched on and alive but I always seem to get drawn into the admin which is silly um but that's something I'm trying to conquer next year so what's yours what's your morning routine um well my morning routine is all about claiming a bit of me time actually because uh, like you most mornings for me start on mother duty so I actually get up a little bit early before anyone else does I do my morning pages to clear to clear my mind because I have the horrible habit of checking my phone when I wake up. So I instantly jump into notifications and messages and emails. So I write my morning pages to clear the slate of my brain and then I do a 20 minute meditation. And then by that stage, my whole family is up. So that that's all I get. But I find when I start the morning like that, I feel like I've carved a little bit of me time out. I've at least had time to have a hot cup of tea and then I can get into family time. So that's, so that's mine. That's admirable. I really, really admire that. I'd like to get towards that next year. And that's fantastic. But I do do the same thing. I get too caught up in admin stuff and I waste my really productive time. Yeah, something I need to work on. Anyway. Anyway, so as we mentioned in our intro, we're talking to Sean D'Souza today, which I'm quite excited about. Um, Now, listeners, you may know him from his business, Psycho Tactics, which he started way back in 2002, or his podcast, which I mentioned, The Three Month Vacation, which is actually named after the fact that Sean and his wife, Renuka, spend three months out of every year on vacation or holidays to us down under. But Sean has actually been a copywriter in several agencies, including Leo Burnett which is one of the world's largest advertising agencies. Then we have his uh, career as a cartoonist, a graphic designer, a website designer, marketer, author, speaker. Sean, that's a lot in that intro. Did we cover everything off? No, but that'll do. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can get into the rest across the interview. Yeah, I mean, you have done a lot, Sean. And I met Sean recently. We are a podcast. 
and uh, was very excited to get him on the show. Belinda won't like me to admit this, but she's a huge fangirl. So she's, she's trying not to giggle and flick her hair throughout this podcast. <laughs> Maybe flicking your hair right now, but uh, yeah, we'll see if you can keep calm. But look, Sean, your career path is taking some serious turns along the way. For listeners who don't know your story, could you share part of it? Could you could you explain how you shifted from being a cartoonist in India to the best-selling author and marketer living in New Zealand? Like that's a bit of a change. Well, um, I got to New Zealand in the year two thousand and. I was already drawing cartoons here. So I started out as a web designer in a web design firm. That was my first job in New Zealand. And then after that, I got to, I don't know, it's just, um, it was very boring. I had no work at work. So I just went for six months with no work. It was one of the most soul destroying times of my, my whole life. Just because if you know me, I'm the kind of guy that wakes up at four in the morning every day, except on vacation when I wake up at six. Um, so, so anyway, um, I quit that. Jo- I, I got made redundant. I didn't quit the job, and I went back to drawing cartoons. But then I had to go back to India to settle all the stuff, you know, sell the house, do all the stuff because we'd moved to New Zealand on a permanent basis. When I read a book, it was called Good to Great. And that book has sold 2 million copies. And the reason for it is just because it shows you or forces you to decide what you're going to be the best in the world at. And at that point in time, I decided that I I didn't know what I was going to be the best in the world at, but I knew what I wasn't the best in the world at. And that was at drawing cartoons. So even though at that point in time, the cartoon business was, in New Zealand was generating about $70,000 a year. And most people would consider that to be a success. I didn't see it as a success. And I didn't see it as a success because it was always nagging at me. My, one of my core benchmarks is to just uh, work really hard and then take a break. And every time I went away, someone else would get the job someone else would get paid, you know, another cartoonist. And so I started looking at marketing books and went back to my kind of roots of copywriting, which was back in the 90s, um, and started writing some articles and it went from there. It got to the point where we were selling stuff online when practically no one was selling stuff online. I wrote the book, The Brain Audit, big surprise, it started selling. So we took it from there. It's a long story. I mean, we could go for a few hours on that. Well, no, I mean, that, that covers the basics, but I think... <laughs> and what was your experience like working in agencies? Uh, did, you, did, you, did you enjoy working at Leo Burnett? Was it, was it good times? It was great. It was fabulous because I was supposed... I was treated just as a cartoonist. Even back then, when I got a job, I went in as a cartoonist and I said, I want to write copy. And she's, you know, the creative director, she said, you know, there's a big difference between writing blurbs for cartoons and, and, and writing copy. And I said, I know. And here's what I'd like you to do. You give me a month to try to, to get into this position. And, you know, at the end of one month, if you don't like me and I don't like you, then we'll go our separate ways. And she agreed. So she didn't pay me for that month. But after that, I got hired and I got all the stupid jobs. That's to be expected. But that also gave me a lot of time. You know, back then, the internet just 
didn't exist as we know it today or didn't exist really in, for any any shape and form except for maybe very basic email. So I had access to all these books, all these books in advertising. They had a whole library. And so I could spend all day just going through the books and looking at great advertising, what made great advertising. So yeah. it was very good. Yeah, it's funny because I had a vaguely similar idea. I, I, went in, I worked in agencies as a producer and I, I did the same. I said, can I be a copywriter? And they said, no, you're a producer. You can't possibly have any creative ideas in your head. How dare you? And so, again, I did what you did. I said, I'll take a 50% pay cut, which was quite substantial, and I'll do it for six months. And if at the end of that six months you don't think I'm any good, then you can fire me. And then that's how I began as a copywriter. And the same thing, like... The internet had just started then. We didn't have books, but what I, there's many books. We didn't have a good library at Ogilvy, unfortunately. But there were just so many clever people, my creative directors, you know, and just bouncing ideas off. I do miss that kind of group dynamic of coming up with ideas in that kind of group way. I thought it was great. Anyway, sorry, I sidetracked a little bit from the question. <laughs> but what, I, what I love about both your stories, and I think what our listeners find very common um, with their own stories is you know, the the windy road that we take often take to become copywriters. Well, Kate and I did a podcast on are you too young or too old to be a copywriter because we're finding that um, more and more people are jumping straight, say, out of school, university into becoming full-time copywriters. And it was just an interesting shift to our own stories which have had a lot of different career changes before becoming a copywriter. You see what you did there? You did a segue into stories. Right, right. So professional. Well, <laughs> but yeah, we, we're going to talk about storytelling today because um, I know that's something you talked about at We Are Podcast, um, Sean. So maybe let's let's start with the basics. Storytelling in the world of copywriting and marketing. Is Are we talking about personal stories or customer stories or how would you define it, Sean? Um, I would see it just uh, in three boxes. I would put it in three boxes. The first is to to tell a story to explain a concept, um, to make that concept which might be a little hard to express, that's where you use stories, and I'll explain that later. That's called signature stories, what I call signature stories. The second is to create empathy, and you're more likely to have personal stories into this space or this box. And finally, you have customer stories, which loosely could be put in as testimonials, but they're not testimonials. These are 1,500-word testimonials, so they're customer stories. And so signature stories, personal stories, and finally customer stories. Okay, and and all those three things work together as copywriters. That's what we're looking at weaving into the marketing we're writing for clients, right? Okay. Choosing, well, choosing the right story at the right moment. Correct. So if you look at signature stories, for instance, now uh, when we started selling the Brain Audit online, there were already 10,000 or 20,000 marketing books. So what I needed to do at that point in time was to tell a customer what is it about this book that's different? Now, I could spend a lot of time trying to do that, or I could tell them a signature story. Now, signature story is one where 90% of the story is already known by the customer, and you're just adding a 10% twist to it. So what I talk about is this factor of where you put 10, seven red bags on a flight, and then you get off at your destination, and you're waiting there for your seven red bags. And then 
you know, the first bag comes out, you take that out. The second bag comes out, you take that out. And you go bag three, bag four, bag five, bag six. And when do you leave the airport? And you leave the airport when you get all the seven red bags. And what that leads directly into is this concept of customer hesitation. Why they don't buy? They don't buy because you haven't taken the seven red bags off their conveyor belt. And so what that story has done, that's what story, that's the story that all the customers remember. That's the reason they buy into the brain audit. Because it's not just a marketing book. It is now giving you a story where you go, hang on, I, what are those seven red bags? How do I get them off the conveyor belt and get the customer to buy? So that's a signature story. And what it does is it explains the concept really well, but it also it creates a point of difference. It creates this factor where your product, whatever your product is, is totally different from somebody else's product. And the third thing and the most important thing is the signature story creates a memory hook. So I just told you that story once, that seven red bag story, and I told it to you very quickly, but it won't leave your memory because of the way in which it's constructed. And that construction is that 90-10%. So 90%, 10%, and that makes a very powerful signature story. Now, when we look at stories that fall into personal stories, well, say I'm selling the article writing course and I want to tell a story, but I want to tell them about how I used to take two days to write the article writing uh, to write a single article, and how at the end of that article, I didn't know whether I could use that article or not. So what I'm doing is going back in time and telling that personal story that enables the reader or the client to see that they're in the same boat or they're in a similar boat, and so that's a different kind of story, which is. It, it draws very heavily on empathy, on the fact that I've been there before, that I've been through this rough patch before, and now I'm going to help you. Um, the third one is the, the client stories. And what we do is we ask clients as many as 17 questions. And what they do is they relate their experience of how they started out, where they went, etc., and there are these 17 questions. It's in, in the, it's in the three-month vacation podcast, if you want to have a look at the 17 questions. And essentially, they write out like 1,500 words. Or you can ask them the 17 questions over the phone, and they'll give you probably 3,000 words. When a client reads this, and you don't always have to put this in a, on a sales page. You can put this in a PDF as a prospectus, which is what I do. Um, and this enables us to sell out stuff faster than pretty much anybody on the internet. I mean, Bruce Springsteen sells out his shows faster than we do, but only Bruce. <laughs> I like that. That's a big claim. No, I'm, I, I, I'm I serious. 20 minutes. We sell out courses in 20 minutes. Every single seat is taken. And, and this is not to a list of 10,000 or 50,000. Sometimes we're going to 400 people. So I'm, it's, I know it's a big claim. I, 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 uh, 
powerful stuff. And and, and just a little uh, story from my own experience. When I started selling the recipe for SEO success course, I didn't have any stories. It was literally like, here's the course. This is what's in it. You know, you get this checklist and you get that checklist. And it was all compelling and well-written and a good sales page. And it sold. But the thing that's made the biggest difference has been, A, telling my story of how I got to the top of the rankings and what I personally did. And it's not your traditional story. So that's the personal story. But then, as you said, I have a series of questions and I share those questions and answers, warts and all. So some, you know, not all the comments are 100% glowing. Some are like, I found this bit difficult, but I sharing those customer stories, either in video form or written form, has been hugely compelling because I think then people recognize themselves. People are always looking for themselves and going, yeah, I get that this is great, but this also looks great. What I want to see is how someone else did it and I can identify with that. And that's been hugely powerful for my own selling as well, you know? And and the speed factor of, you know, selling is, is very addictive, but you have to look at it from a customer's point of view. Now, if you're a copywriter and you're writing for another client, the worst thing or the, the, the worst thing they have to deal with is how long is it going to take before you help them reach their target of sales. And if you're the client yourself and you're selling a course, you're selling a product, it's the same thing. If you're going to be marketing for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month or whatever, all that time, you have to keep writing sales letters, you have to do promotions, you have to do joint ventures, you have to do affiliates, you have to do advertising. We do none of the above. So the, so what happens is when you tell these three types of stories, the signature stories, the empathy stories, which is about yourself, and the customer stories, among other things, when you tell these stories, what you're doing is you're largely eliminating the frustration of the client, whether that client be you or somebody else. Yeah, I totally agree. And and when we're writing these stories, what do you think are the elements of a good story? I mean, at We Are Podcast, one of the things I loved, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show was your the brilliant way that you illustrated tension and you showed this great video with, with baby geese falling off a cliff and would they make it? One of them did, then it didn't. And oh, it was so, it was really powerful. Um, and that was to illustrate the tension point. But um, what, are, what are the core elements of a, of a good story? So there are, there are many elements, but if you want to just boil it down to three, the first thing you have to figure out is the ups, the, the second thing is the downs, and the third is what I call the flats. Now, what, what happens in the ups is uh, kind of what you heard in the seven bag story. You put the seven bags on the flight, everything's going fine, one bag comes out, second bag comes out, third bag comes out. Now, in the original story, I say, then there's an orange bag, then there's a polka dot bag. Then there's, so what's happened now is there's this down. Where are all the rest of the bags? And what you have is this factor of ups and downs. And, and then you have, oh, then comes the sixth bag, fourth bag and the fifth bag and the sixth bag. And that's a flat. That's like not up anymore. That's just, this, that's just filler. But that tells you what you already know, that that's how the bag rolls out. So you, you have ups and you have downs and you have flats. And then eventually in that very story, the last bag goes missing. And that's like, oh, now what? So to keep the person's attention in the storyline, you have to have this factor of ups, downs, and flats. Now, in, in a sales story, it's almost like the cliffhanger. That problem comes right at the end. 
And when you have that cliffhanger, automatically you've got a situation where the customer needs to know what's going to happen next, just like in a good TV series. So ups, downs, and flats. I mean, this is like a three-day workshop, but if you just look at <laughs> Yeah, you look at, I know because we do a three-day workshop, but, but, <laughs> but um, if you just look at one, you know, go to Gosling's David Attenborough online, you know this I'll, one. I'll, I'll put the video in the, in the show. Right, and, and you watch and you look for the ups, downs, and flats, and you'll see that. Uh, and the flat is, is really a suspense situation, which is what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Why is this happening? What's going to happen? But you also kind of know what's going to happen. So it's not completely. It's not a shock. Yeah, you yeah. You, you, it's, it's like in this video, the gosling is falling down, and you know, oh, something good or bad is going to happen. You don't know what, but you just—it's just white space there. Just it's, it's almost like a heartbeat. You know, the heartbeat goes up, down, and flat. That's just storytelling in a in a nutshell. One thing I, I teach them, my, my copywriting students is actually, you know, those uh, drawings that you can do of elevations when you're running, you know, this is where you're going up the mountain, this is where you're coming down. And they show those on run maps so that you can see the amount of effort you're going to make. It's like when you're writing, have a look at what you've written and, and draw that line and see where do you go up? Where do you go down? Is there enough movement in that line or is it just a complete flat line uh, throughout the whole story? And there's no emotion and there's no moment. of <gasps> We all need that moment. Of <gasps> I think in our story. So that's another way to think about it. Yeah. That's what I do when I'm doing time. In, in the brain audit, I call it the roller coaster. And it's the roller coaster because if you design a roller coaster, you want enough problem and you want enough solution. And then you also want some flat zones. You can't, you can't have people screaming all the time. You can't have them bored all the time. And you can't, so it's the ups, downs, and the flats. That's what I call it. And just, the, just what you mentioned there in terms of um, – say problems and solutions, I think this is where we can start getting a little more practical because I mean, a lot, I think a lot of these storytelling techniques make sense, say for a landing sales page, but um, you know, many of us or many listeners and we've done our fair share, Kate, you know, you're writing about a, a plumber. So, you know, if we make this more practical, how can we, how can copywriters integrate the stories into the copy they're writing for clients? Like, what kind of stories might a plumber have, for example, to effectively market themselves? And you just mentioned their problem solutions. I think that's a good, seems yes. to be a good in. So uh, the, the thing that you have to understand, and this is the, the fundamental mistake that most people make. This is why copywriting falls on deaf ears or de whatever. You know, no, one, no one bothers to move. Is they talk about a plumber or they talk about a web designer. And they talk about a generic thing like, is your website doing really well? And no one, no one on the planet usually responds to something like that because that's generic. And the only way you can get something really specific, a real problem, is to have what, is, what I call is a target profile. So you, Belinda, you are not Kate. Kate is not you. And the moment the two of you stand together, you become an audience. And that's what a target audience is. Belinda's website and Kate's website, you're going to have completely different issues. And if I speak to, say, you, for instance, and you have a family and you need, uh, I don't know, forget the family, but let's, let's stick with the website. Uh, 
say, say you need a website and that website has to do a certain thing. So maybe you've had a website in the past. So I'm going, Belinda has a website in the past. And then you tell me, you know, the reason why I'm coming to you as a website developer is because the last time I had a website, every time I had to make a change, I had to be a slave to, I had to be a slave to that website developer. I had to go back and beg them, and, you know, I had to ask them for permission. And they, it was like having a house and half the rooms in the house, well, half the rooms were locked and I didn't have the key. So what we have here is what you've got to do is you have to speak to a target profile, not an audience. Do not sit. My, my advice is the, the, the average copywriter sits in their office and writes copy. The really great copywriters don't write anything. They just go to the client. They find out the exact problems they have. They use the exact words they have. And, you know, they, they roll out the entire copy that way. They, that's the kind of copy that you want. And this, this kind of copy will have a ton of emotion. It'll have language that, you know, you and I can't, can't understand. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, we were having a workshop in California several years ago. And to me, it, the, I mean, the workshop was about websites. It was how to build, how, how to have a website strategy. And I was, to me, the biggest problem was, the recession. This was back in 2009. And uh, I called up Molly. Molly was the target profile. And I said, I'm going to talk about the recession. And what do you think about the recession? She says, I don't give a damn about the recession. I've had enough about this recession business. What I want to know is I have 500 clients. How can I have a website with 500 clients and make that website profitable? That was a very precise question. So now I have to think of how am I going to design a course that will have 500 clients and make it profitable. But after that, it was very easy to write the copy because she said, she just went into the problem herself. She told me everyone talks about a thousand clients. Uh, I mean, a thousand people on their list, 2000, 5,000, 10,000. I have 500. What am I going to do right now? So, you know, that's the way, I mean, I don't write any copy. I never have, uh, except in the very early days. I just go with a recorder and I record it. Oh, I do it on Skype. Yeah, I, I so agree. I, 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 this is something I say to people in my little group all the time. Like, they're like, oh, the client hasn't given me anything. I gave them my brief. They didn't fill it in. I asked for bullet points. And I just, I just talk to the client because they will say everything you need them to say. I had a client who was a remedial builder and quite a sort of, you know, not the most eloquent of, 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 you know, not highly spoken dude, but the way he spoke was real and genuine. And he had so many good stories. He was in his 50s. So number of issues he'd been through. And that just, that copy just wrote itself because he experienced every customer problem you could have. He just laid it all out. And it was so easy. And it was in his voice. So it didn't sound like all the other remedial building websites. There were bits of slang in there and, and terms. And it was conversational and I so agree you just got to get people talking people have all got a story to tell they just want you to tell their story slightly maybe slightly more grammatically correct than they can themselves you don't need to rewrite everything just write what they give you I think yeah David Ogilvy had an ad um, about carnation milk um, I don't want to I don't want to say it now on, on this podcast but uh, you can look at 
it's uh, Ghanaian milk is the best on the land, and it goes from there. But if you find it, it's in in just slang, and it, it works really well. A lot of stuff that copywriters do. Uh, the fundamental mistake is writing your own copy. The fundamental mistake is not using the almost the exact words that the client uses. They use words like what we tend to do is we tend to translate. We need to transcribe. So they say. You know, my 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 staff, I, I don't know how to motivate them. They're like, um, and they'll use a specific word. And then we'll go and we'll go, oh, my staff, they are not very motivated. They are like robots. And I've seen this happening before my eyes. This guy is saying one thing and the person is writing a completely different thing on the whiteboard. And I'm going, he said something different. She said, this is what he said. And I said, can you say it yeah. again? And she said, yeah, that's the same thing. I said, no, it's not the same thing. And then the client comes back and says, it doesn't sound quite right. I'm not sure why. And Correct. Like, I don't know, like my copy. It's brilliant. And it's like, because you didn't listen. You really yeah. didn't. Just write what you wanted to write. It, it I love that. Yeah, it depends on whether you're speaking to a client or a client's client. So sometimes you have to speak yeah. to the client's client. Yeah, when you're working with agencies and you don't get that first contact, you're working through an account manager and it all gets Chinese whispered until it doesn't sound anything like the client hoped it would at the beginning. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it all, you know, what we're talking about here is how well we take the client brief. And, yeah. and I think it's, as you said, it's transcribing, not translating, Sean. Yeah, I'm, I'm memeing the hell out of that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the, the thing with uh, advertising is that a lot of advertising, even to this day, is unaccountable, right? You just throw the ad at a newspaper or a magazine and you can't get a result. But when you have direct marketing has always been about, I sent out so many leaflets, I got this kind of response. And now on the internet, it's the same thing. And the other thing I picked up from what you were saying there, Sean, is is what we're when we're thinking about pain points and, and the problems that we're writing about, we can frame that in the context of story. What are the what are the barriers and the challenges that that these people are trying to overcome as part of their own story? And maybe just reframing that can help copywriters consider adding how they can add a bit more emotion into the copywriting they're writing, which might seem a bit mundane. Yeah, I think there's always a way. And like when people say, oh, this is a boring client, I'm like, no one's boring. You know, not to their audience. You might think you're an accountant and no one's interested in your story, but some people will be. Other people who are in your world will be interested, you know. I think you've just got to find that find that element and it's there. I mean, I, do you think there are ever situations, uh, Sean, where stories just don't work, where you're trying to squeeze a story out of something that, where it doesn't really exist? Um, it's very hard because if you go back in time to DDB and you look at, you know, one word headlines like lemon for the Volkswagen, well, what's the story behind it? And you have, um, you have a situation where they had big cars in the US, unfortunately still do. They had, you know, cars that guzzle fuel, still do. But anyway, uh, without getting political here, uh, <laughs> What happened was they brought this little car that was actually a Nazi car. It was directly connected to Adolf Hitler. And they had to sell this car. They had a budget of $800,000, which was crap then, is crap now. And they had to sell this car. And so they were telling a story by, you know, instead of using color ads, they were telling, they, were, they used black and white. And so using the big car picture, they were telling a small, you know, just this little 
little car in the middle of, the, of a lot of white space. I don't know if you can ever take story out of it, but if if you're selling, you know, something that's, I, I don't think you can take a story out of it. It just depends on how you tell the story. I think everything has a story. It, anything that doesn't have a story becomes the mundane stuff, which is, you know, I went to the airport, um, I checked in, I went through security, I got on the plane, and, and that becomes boring because the client or the person is waiting for someone to tell what what, what happened next. But um, I'm slightly off the engine here, but the point is that I don't think that there is a situation where you can't tell a story. I, I haven't run into that yet. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think there's very much a vogue in the copywriting world at the moment, or maybe about a year ago, Belinda, I don't know if you saw it too, where people actually stopped calling themselves copywriters and started calling themselves storytellers. You know, all over LinkedIn. Um, and I, I like it. I can see what they're doing. And I, and I think it's, it's great. But, I, you know, I think from a client perspective, when you're approaching a copywriter, you don't really know that you want a storyteller. It almost sounds, you know, mystical and a bit lululala. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, and I think often you're going to have to explain to the client why stories work um, and why they're going to help that client sell more of their thing or get people to do the thing they want them to do. And this podcast will now be great ammunition for helping you explain why stories are a great way in. Don't you agree? Yeah, well, what are you asking me? Asking Belinda. I was asking, I was asking Belinda. Thank <laughs> you as well. You know, I just sort of think I, I'm not sure if positioning yourself as a storyteller is, is, is great from a business perspective because I, I guess we get this, but I'm not sure all business owners understand the methods that copywriters use, and this is one method. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, the point is that salespeople are storytellers. So, so effectively, you could call yourself whatever you want. We, when you when you look at the story about Corning Glass and how the guy hands over the, I don't know if you know the story, but they're selling glass. This this guy selling like twice or thrice as much glass as everybody else, and that's because he hands over the glass to some to a prospective client, and then he takes out a ball-peen hammer and shatters the glass. I mean, he hits the glass and it doesn't shatter. And he goes, there you go. This is the glass you want. So that's a story. Yeah, it's the carpet with the things pulled all over it and the man vacuuming it. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a classic sales method. So, um, so all this, the, the point is how you look at stories. I mean, I, I put them in three boxes in the sense you have the signature stories, you have the analogies, uh, you have the personal stories, and then finally you have the, the testimonials. And if you just worked on getting 1,500-word testimonials in the first instance, if you could just ask those 17 questions, um, I, you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to have a sales page. I could show you how you could sell pretty much anything without writing a single word of copy. Sorry, but this is possible. It's, you, you can you can do this. You can just through customer testimonials, and you know it, it is possible. One of the things I got from your questions from the brain audit, Sean, um, the, the for the to get a great testimonial, and I know you have a lot more resources on getting great testimonials, but it was, it was about objections, asking people what would have stopped them making a yes decision from buying this product. And I, the reason I love that, it, it gives you 
the things that people are worried about that you get to talk around. It makes like as you asking the right questions for your testimonials gives you all the fodder you need to write a great sales page. Right. And objections are the flip side of testimonials. So you kill the objections yourself in the copy, but then every single one of those objections should be answered by a testimonial. So if someone says the price of this workshop was too high, then one of the testimonials needs to say, you know, I thought the price of the workshop was too high, but here's what I found. Yes, exactly. I have a series of emails that go out from my course, and, and the fourth one is a, is literally just a testimonial. So that's all it is. Hello, here's a testimonial. And then this lady wrote, and I didn't edit it much. I mean, I put a few full stops in, but other than that, and that email is the one that gets the most click-throughs and generates the most sales. Because it's like, you can FAQ the hell out of it, you can do your features and benefits, but when someone else tells that story for you and covers all those points, it's just awesome. And I didn't even have to tell her the points to tick. She just kind of did it. You know, I didn't say, if it would be great if you could mention price and, and what you covered and how great I am. She just kind of did it. So um, thank yeah. you, Deanne Rowland, if you're listening. Yeah, people, people don't know what they're buying. No, not one of us know what we're really buying. You have to, you have to remember that. So we buy on a basis of skimming through stuff, looking at the price, hesitating, deciding to buy it later, because people, what they do is they, they, um, they buy long before they pay. I know that sounds really odd, but they buy long before they pay. So what you have to get them to do is to buy into the concept long before they pay. And this is, I mean, probably too long to get into, but what a lot of copywriters do is they focus on the sales page. And the sales page is like the wedding day. And all of the preparation that happened like six months, eight months, 10 months before the wedding day, that is what sells the product. That is the reason why we're able to sell out in 20 minutes. Not because we have a great sales page. In fact, I've asked, I've stopped asking customers now because I asked them, which part of the sales page caused you to buy? And they go, I didn't read the sales page. That's so true. Awesome. <laughs> That's so true. It's the same with my people. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm gonna. I think I'm not happy with my sales page. I'm gonna move this thing around. And people are like, why are you changing it? I didn't even look at that. By the time I got to the sales page, I just went straight to the buy button because it's everything else. It was all the, it's the foreplay. Not that you said the sales page is the wedding day. Maybe the sales page is like. <laughs> and, and 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 there is one way to prove it, and that is to not have a sales page. Have so a sales? Not have yeah. Right. So, that, so you can you can talk all day about how, uh, you know, they don't read the sales page and stuff. But last year, for instance, we had a book on pre-sale. Uh, we sold 60 or 70 thousand dollars worth of that product uh, with, with just the email, no sales page. Uh, this year we're having uh, 2017. We're having a workshop in in uh, New Zealand in the South Island. Uh, no sales page. It's, there's only one line about the workshop. It's, you know, how to improve your landing page or something. And the bonus is you get to meet Ranuka. You know, that's it. There are <laughs> just, a good bonus. I know. You, so, so it's one thing to say that people don't read a sales page and then to prove that you can sell something without a sales page. And the only reason why you can sell without the sales page is because of all that prep work for several weeks and several months that a lot of copywriters don't seem to understand that we buy long before we pay. 
Well, I, I, I feel like a bit of a, a challenge in 2017, Kate. Yeah, I think we have to do that. It's the fluffing. I call it the fluffing. You know, all the, all the things you do before and all the other kind of almost ambient marketing you do, like even things like this podcast, you know, that are just building trust and authority and all that kind of stuff so that when it comes, it's, it's not a big decision anymore. The decision's pretty much made and now you're just clicking the button and filling out the form. So, interesting. Let's try it, Belinda. Let's see if we can do it next year. Let's make something and uh well, well maybe our hot copy book which we're writing which is coming out next year we can yeah. see. sell yeah. it without selling it yeah let's see if we can do it and then well, we can go. well you know it's one thing for me to say it because people say oh you've got such a reputation you've been around for a long time i just got a postcard from someone and she used the system she just started it and she said hey you know five people signed up to my workshop and i i didn't have to do anything it's like she says, you know, I don't have, so, so, so it's like, I don't have to pitch anymore. This is so wonderful. Um, well, to, to wrap up today, Sean, I'd love it if you could leave our listeners with maybe, maybe one tip they should action when it comes to using storytelling in, in their copywriting. What, what's one tip or one thing that they should definitely do around uh, that? Okay, I think you should write your story, whatever your story, whichever box it goes in, whether it goes, you know, whether you're doing like a seven red bag story or you're going, you know, I'm going to tell this, this, I'm going to have this testimonial or I'm going to have a story, you know, my personal story. Write the story, then go back and then look at where does the story go up? Where does the story go down? And if there is no up and down, then put the ups and downs. And when you do that, so there is no need for you to have it right at the start, but you can go back and you can fix it later. And that is how you get your stories to be a lot better because that is what creates that roller coaster of a ride. And yeah, I don't think you can do better than that, really. Awesome. I think that's a really good tip just to at least consider those ups and downs and flats when you're presenting the story you've written. Um, well, I think you've given our listeners a fantastic taste of the power of storytelling in the marketing that they've got for themselves and the, what they're writing for their clients. Now, I know you've got a lot of great resources around storytelling on your website, and we're going to link to a lot of those. Um, but to wrap up, can you maybe tell listeners where to find you? Um, if there's anything that you're doing right now that you want to share with them? Well, there's a uh, really good example uh, of storytelling itself is in the brain audit. I mean, when people say, you know, I find it very easy to read the brain audit, it's because of there's almost a story per page, sometimes two stories per page. And this is a 180-page book. So what I would suggest you do is go to psychotactics.com slash xbrain. That's the letter X and B-R-A-I-N. So that's psychotactics.com slash xbrain. And, you know, you'll get the first chapter. And what you ha what you can do is you can read through it and see how the stories are told and deconstruct them and tell me if they're really good or not so good. <laughs> well, I, that's a book that I own um, and we'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes. And um, when I met you at the Copy Blogger Authority Conference in 2015, this is actually the hook of the story was something we talked about in terms of making information more memorable. And it's I think it's one of the greatest examples that I've come across of that story um, hook to make information so much more memorable. I mean, you should be able to tell a story once and people never forget it. 
I'll never forget those dying geese. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Sean. That's amazing. I learned a lot there. That's fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, um, regular listeners will know that we, we read out a review at the end of the show. So today we're giving a shout out to Caroline Ankatel, who left this review on Stitcher. And she said, this is about the only copywriting podcast you need. Kate and Belinda impart incredibly valuable advice, tips and tricks, and they're super engaging. Their guests are amazing too, that includes you, Sean, adding even more value to an already hot podcast. Such great mentors, thanks for the inspiration. And that is a fantastic review, so thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Caroline, that's awesome. And thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We check both. We love all our reviews and they help other copywriters, new copywriters, find us. Um, If you've got any comments for Sean or you've got any ideas or stories you wanted to share, head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode and on social media we'd love to hear your morning routine kate and i shared ours and we'd like to hear yours as well so uh thank you kate thanks linda until next time happy writing so you're still listening great because i wanted to tell you about my new podcast the Recipe for SEO Success Show. Sadly, this one's just me, Kate Toon, but it is packed full of useful, practical, doable SEO tips and advice. You can find it in the iTunes store, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Just search for The Recipe for SEO Success Show. Oh, I wanted to ask Sean, I don't know if Belinda's already asked, can we get a giant picture of your head? Yeah, sure, obviously. Yeah. It's not for promotion, it's just so we can sew it onto a pillow for Belinda's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>